1: What he said about Ananias, Jesus had said the same thing about men like Ananias, your whitewashed tombs. They would whitewash the tombs in order to not inadvertently come in contact with one because you would become defiled and have to go through all kind of purification rites before you could enter the temple again and join the Jewish people in worship. And what Jesus was saying is they were hypocrites. You look good on the outside, but on the inside you're full
0: of dead men's bones. Our culture is obsessed with outward appearances. You're taught at a young age that your looks are extremely important, perhaps even more important than what's going on in your heart and soul. Today, Pastor Danny will be reminding you that God is looking right into your heart. Jesus isn't impressed with how you appear outwardly, and he gets especially upset if you play the hypocrite. God doesn't want vain rituals from you. He wants an intimate relationship with you that results in a change of character. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of Acts chapter 22 with today's edition of The Living Word.
1: the Roman commander if he can speak to the crowd, and he gets permission, and he basically shares his testimony, how he came to know Jesus Christ, and how uh, the Lord called him to be a witness for Jesus Christ, and it's when he gets to verse 21 of chapter 22, then the Lord said to me, go, I'll send you far away to the Gentiles. That's when uh, the crowd got violent again, and because uh, they, didn't, they didn't like Gentiles, these are Jews, and. The crowd listened to Paul, verse 22, until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, rid the earth of him, he's not fit to live. As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered that Paul be taken into the barracks. He directed that he be flogged and interrogated in order to find out why the people were shouting at him like this. As they stretched him out to flogging, Paul said to the centurion standing there, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen who hasn't even been found guilty? When the centurion heard this, he went to the commander and reported it and said, what are you going to do? This man is a Roman citizen. Commander went to Paul and asked, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? Yes, I am, he answered. Then the commander said, I had to pay a lot of money for my citizenship. Paul said, but I was born a citizen. Those who were about to interrogate him withdrew immediately. The commander himself was alarmed when he realized that he had put Paul, a Roman citizen, in chains, something that he could get in real trouble for. The commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, so the next day he released him and ordered the chief priest and all the members of the Sanhedrin to assemble. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. Chapter 23. Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Which they did. And then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Whoa, Paul. You sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, how dare you insult God's high priest? And Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written. Now he quotes Exodus chapter 22, verse 28, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Ananias having Paul struck on the mouth was a violation of the law, and so Paul is suffering unjustly. What he said about Ananias, Jesus had said the same thing about men like Ananias, your whitewashed tombs. They would whitewash the tombs in order to not inadvertently come in contact with one because you would become defiled and have to go through all kind of purification rites before you could enter the temple again and join the Jewish people in worship. And what Jesus was saying is they were hypocrites. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of dead men's bones. And what Paul says to Ananias, Jesus also said, so it's true, he is a hypocrite despite the unjust suffering. And despite the truth that Ananias is a hypocrite, what Paul said, though true, was wrong. And when he realizes from the word of God that he was wrong, he apologizes. The message is very straightforward, very easy to understand. The first thing we need is a testimony. A testimony, and I'm going to be very technical. A testimony is how, when I came to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Even if you don't know the date, I don't know the date. I remember the time. I remember I was 19 years old, and I have a testimony of when I repented and received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. If you don't have a testimony, you need one, because you can't be saved without a testimony. But you can have a testimony And not a witness. Paul, the great apostle Paul, lost his witness here before the Supreme Court of his day. So he apologizes. Now, I want to quickly give you four places. I thought of three, and then as I meditated on it, I found the fourth through a scripture God gave me. Uh, four places that we are called to have a witness for Jesus Christ, not just a testimony, a witness. The first is the marketplace, that's just the public world, in public. Peter puts it this way, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they'll see your honorable behavior and they'll give honor to God when he judges the world. Uh, Places like 1 Timothy 2 tell women who who know the Lord uh, to dress appropriately, decently. uh, And so by the way you dress, that's part of your witness to the world that you serve God, that you know Christ. You ever see these vehicles and they have how's my driving question? They have a number you can call and so you can rat on somebody who's not driving very well. I thought, and I'm actually kind of happy I don't have one of those on my personal vehicle. A few weeks ago, I was coming to church and I was coming to back way when I pulled out on 19. Uh, and there were some cars coming. I had to get over quickly in the left lane to turn into the church parking lot and I ended up cutting somebody off. And immediately, I thought, I hope they're not coming to Calvary Chapel. Sure enough, I look in the rearview mirror and they have the signal on and they pull in right behind Pastor Danny. And I'm trying to hide. <laughs> if that was you... I'm sorry. (laughs) But I won. Moving right along. The workplace. One of the greatest Old Testament examples of being a witness for God in the workplace, I believe, is Daniel. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Paul writes in Titus, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. That principle applies in the workplace to try to please them, not to talk back to them, but to show that they can be fully trusted um, so that in every way they'll make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. It's a witness. And then one of the most challenging places I believe, my experience, to maintain my witness for the Lord is at home, because they really see you for who you are at home. Peter When they hurled their insults at him, Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. And he's our ultimate example. It's interesting with Jesus as the example here, the context of this scripture. You know what it is? When you get to chapter three, verse one, it opens this way. Wives in the same way. Verse seven, husbands in the same way. With Christ as the example, at home, with your spouse. When you get the insult, you don't retaliate. When you suffer, you make no threats. That's a challenge. One husband said to his wife, I don't understand how God could make you so beautiful and so stupid at the same time. The wife said, well, let me explain it to you. God made me so beautiful so you'd be attracted to me. God made me so stupid so I'd be attracted to you. Daughter said to her mother, Mom, you told me that God created us, but Dad says that we evolved over a long period of time from monkeys. I'm confused, Mom. And the mother said, Honey, when your dad says we evolved from monkeys over a long period of time, he was referring to his side of the family. (laughs) Then I thought about this scripture, there's one other place that God wants us to be a witness. You know where it is? It's the church. This meeting. And there's the scripture he gave me, 1 Corinthians 14. If the whole church comes together and everybody's speaking in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come into the meeting, will they not say that you're out of your mind? For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. Anybody ever been to a church meeting and you're you're just like, I'm not sure this is really what reflects the character of God. I've been in some meetings like that. God's not a God of confusion and disorder. He's not weird. So let's don't be. Paul the apostle. I'm so thankful that God puts these true stories in the Bible. Paul the apostle lost his witness. And that's why he apologized. And I thought of a few more notable Bible characters that lost their witness. Go with me to Genesis chapter 12, not going to read the whole story, don't have time, but you'll know this guy. His name is Abraham. There's a famine. Abraham goes down to Egypt, no record that God told him to, and he gets there. On the way, actually, he tells his wife, you're a beautiful woman, and when we get there, Pharaoh may take you from me and take you into his harem and possibly even kill Abraham to do so. So when we get there, say You're my sister. It's a lie. Initially, it goes well for Abraham. Verse 16 Pharaoh treated Abram well for her sake, and Abram acquired sheep and cattle, male and female donkeys, male and female servants, and camels. But the Lord inflicted serious diseases on Pharaoh and his household because of Abram's wife, Sarah. So Pharaoh summoned Abraham What have you done to me? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? And he lost his witness. And it happened not just once. When you get to Genesis chapter 20, now he's in Gerar and the king of Gerar, named Abimelech. Abraham's thinking the same thing. Maybe this king will take my wife. And again, he says to his wife, say, you're my sister. Well, this time God gives Abimelech a dream and reveals to him through the dream that this woman is not his sister, but is his wife. And he comes to Abraham chapter 20. Verse nine, then Abimelech called Abraham in and said, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you've brought such great guilt upon me and my kingdom? You've done things to me that should never be done. What's your reason for doing this? And again, Abraham lost his witness. There's another one, you'll know him, David. First Samuel, chapter 25. Again, let me summarize the story and then we'll read a couple of verses and you'll get the point. David is running for his life from Saul, he and his men. They're in an area, and a man named Nabal, he's a rich man from Carmel. Some of his livestock, sheep, etc., and men are there, and David and his men are actually watching over them, making sure that no harm comes to them. It's sheep shearing time, so David sends some of his men to Nabal uh, to ask him if he has something to share with David and his men. And they come, and in David's name, they ask, and Nabal says, who is this David? Lots of men are breaking away from their masters these days. In other words, he's a rebel. Why should I share what I have with him? The men come back and tell David, and David, you know what he does? He straps on his sword. He tells his men, strap on your swords. And he's on his way to deal with Nabal. By the way, Nabal's name means fool, and he acts like one. He's mean. He's surly, as one translation says it, in his dealings with others. But his wife is an intelligent and beautiful beautiful woman. Her name is Abigail. She realizes what's happening, and uh, she gets the servants to get some things together, and she goes, and she's going to look to appease David, as she knows David is coming after her husband. Verse 21. Just before she arrives, David had just said, it's been useless. All my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He's paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David, be it ever so severely, if by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. David's going to kill Nabal and all his male servants as well. But thank God Abigail makes it. Bows before him. She says in verse 30, when the Lord has fulfilled from my Lord, every good thing he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or of having avenged himself, which is exactly what David is looking to do. Take vengeance on Nabal for the way he treated he and his men. You know what's fascinating about this particular story? Happens right between 1 Samuel 24 and 1 Samuel 26. You're like, duh. What's 1 Samuel 24? David and his men are in a cave. And just by coincidence, Saul, seeking David's life, not knowing David and his men are back in the cave, he goes in the cave to relieve himself. As he takes off his robe and he's relieving himself, David sneaks up in the darkness of the cave And he cuts off a corner of Saul's robe. His men, they want at Saul. But verse 5 of chapter 24, afterward, after he cut off Saul's robe, David was conscious stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, catch this, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And then 1 Samuel 26, Saul still pursuing David. Saul is camped at night with his men. His men are surrounding him. He's in the center of the camp. David says to his mighty men, who will go down into the camp of Saul with me? Abishai says, I'll go. Verse 7, so David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there was Saul lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground near his head. Abner and the soldiers were lying around him. Abishai said to David, today God has delivered your enemy into your hands. Now let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't strike him twice. I'll get him first shot. But David said to Abishai, don't destroy him. Who can lay a hand on the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? As surely as the Lord lives, he said, the Lord himself will strike him, or his time will come and he'll die, or he'll go into battle and perish. But the Lord forbid that I should lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Now get the spear and water jug. They're near his head, and let's go. Chapter 24, chapter 26, David before his men maintains his witness for the Lord. But in chapter 25... In dealing with the fool, he loses it. And if it were not for Abigail, you talk about losing your witness, David. David, of whom God said when he chose a man because Saul so sinned as first king, and he says, now I've chosen a man after my own heart. That would be David. You think David lost his witness in First Samuel 25? When you go forward in David's life, now he's a gray-haired king an aged saint and he walks out on his balcony one day and he sees Bathsheba and you know the story he commits adultery with her he she gets pregnant he tries to cover it up it doesn't work and so David has Uriah the Hittite one of his mighty men Bathsheba's husband killed on the battlefield and then takes Bathsheba to be his wife and he lived for years as a hypocrite he lived a lot I'll give you one more Peter Peter, here they are in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Judas leads the crowd to come and arrest Jesus. And when they uh, come, Peter takes his sword out. He's been sleeping, so he's kind of groggy. And instead of getting the guy's head, all he gets is his ear. It's the servant of the high priest. His name is Malchus. And if you know the story, Jesus reaches down and picks up Malchus's ear and puts it back and miraculously heals him. And there's a lesson there. God's the only one that can heal the ears that I've cut off. And I'm ashamed, but I'm forgiven. And I'm very thankful that I've grown. I've grown. Because there was a time when I, especially with my older brother, would repeatedly speak truth to him. The word. And what I was saying was right. But how I was saying it and the timing were wrong. And you know all I did to my brother I just whacked off his ear. Just whacked off his ear. You can do it at home. You can do it with your spouse. You can do it with your kids. And you can be saying the right thing, but it's the wrong time and the wrong attitude. Here's what God said to me. I'll pass it on. Hopefully it'll be helpful to you. God's word spoken in God's time and in God's character cuts people to the heart. Hebrews 4.12. But God's word spoken out of time and in the flesh only cuts off ears. You can tell your wife everything that's true about her and all you're doing. Whack You can tell your husband all the right things. Whack, whack, whack. Sometimes at home, the wife's ears are there, and the husband's ears, the dog's ears are even laying around. (laughs) Peter lost his witness. And Jesus said to Peter, put your sword away. And then after they arrested Jesus, and Jesus had told Peter, but Peter emphatically denied that it would happen. And he said, I will die with you. But Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This very night before the cock crows, three times you'll deny that you know me. And the servant girl comes to him, and he denies even knowing Christ. Second time it happens, he begins to call down curses. A third time it happens, and again he denies even knowing the Lord, and the cock crowed. And one gospel writer tells us after the cock crowed, Jesus turned and looked at Peter, and Peter turned and looked at Jesus, and Peter went out and he wept bitterly. Tears of repentance. If the Lord's speaking to someone here and you've lost your witness, the good news is you can get it back. That's the wonderful thing about our Lord. Mercies are new every morning. Grace is available 24-7. I'm going to close, but the Lord took me to Philippians Chapter 2, in our ultimate example, Jesus, here's what it says about him. Verse 6, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, or this translation says, to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross God gave me two fresh things from that and they're very simple to understand but they're helpful. One is humility involves self-denial. Second, humility enables obedience. If you've lost your witness, first thing we have to do is humble ourselves, deny ourselves, take up our cross. And then practically speaking, what do I need to do? Well, it may it may mean for some of us that we need to go and apologize. You say, "Yeah, but what they said was wrong, what they did was wrong." When they hurled their insults at him, he didn't retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. For some of us, you know what it is, just stop lying. Just stop lying. You say, if I tell the truth, what about the consequences? Trust God. Trust God. For some of us, it's repent of sin. Some of us, it's like David, sexual sin. David, after confronted by Nathan the prophet, repented. And in his repentance, he writes Psalm 51. Let me read you very quickly just a portion of Psalm 51. Have mercy on me o God according to your unfailing love according to your great compassion blot out my transgressions wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Verse 7 cleanse me with hyssop and I'll be clean wash me and I'll be whiter than snow. And then he says in verse 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. You could say that another way. Then my witness will be restored. For some of of us, it's putting your sword away.
0: we meet in the book of acts weren't superheroes they weren't angels in disguise nor were they born with more privilege and intelligence than the average human being these were just ordinary people doing their jobs and doing the best they could until jesus changed everything jesus's life death and resurrection flipped the world upside down changing the way god was seen and opening up the reality of salvation to every person that salvation hasn't changed We all still need Jesus to save us from death. And just like these ordinary members of the early church, we can let the grace we've received flip our world upside down. Now we can live for Christ, sharing Him with the world around us and extending the Holy Spirit to everyone we meet. We're so glad you tuned in for today's message on the Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. This ministry is a product of the messages Pastor Danny teaches at Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. If you're in the area, come join us this weekend. We meet on Saturday at 6 p.m. and again on Sunday. Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. Join us for a time of fellowship and Bible study, digging into God's Word as a collective group of imperfect believers. Find out more at our website, ccfstpete.church. That website again is ccfstpete.church. You can listen to past messages from Pastor Danny while you're there, or you can connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's all we have time for today. Tune in next time to study more from the Book of Acts, right here on the Living Word.